Hey there, everyone. How about a game of free word association? Here's how to play. I say a word, and you remember the first thing that came to mind. Ready? Go. Energy. Cheap air travel. Geothermal power. Energy transition. Hot water bottle. Okay, the last one was for fun. So, what did you come up with? Lots of fun stories and fond memories? Not so much. Maybe something like energy crisis, climate change, what the heck is geothermal? Welcome, weary traveler. This episode's for you. In today's episode, we imagine clean energy in the future. We'll hear about some of the crazy tech being developed right now. Plus, we've got some really good news for those of you who feel like the future is more doom than delight. With so many possibilities out there, we did the legwork for you and asked the not so simple but really exciting question, what if we had enough clean energy? To answer questions of the future, we sometimes have to look to the past. I'm Chuck Johnson, reporting live from New York City, where the blackout continues to disrupt the lives of millions and millions of people. Across the northeastern United States, a crash of the electrical grid brought life as we know it to an abrupt halt. Anything that runs on electricity has stopped running, and for now we don't know when it will come back on. Hey Mercedes, no offense, but your immersive sound capabilities are making this documentary about the 2003 blackout very real. It totally looked as if the electricity grid was fried. Toast! Seriously though, what if they hadn't come up with renewable energy sources in the last couple of decades? Today it's normal for us to feed organic waste to our air trams and cover much of the Sahara with solar panels. If you had told people then what we know now, they seriously wouldn't have believed it. Yes, luckily, there was a series of groundbreaking technologies to make the energy transition a reality. The automotive industry, for example, developed a storage system that was able to secure my energy supply without even being connected to a power grid. No more blackouts. But how did we manage the energy transition at a time when there were critical supply chain problems? It's so hard to imagine an era when fossil fuels were the only viable source of power. It almost seems primitive now. What do you think was the one thing... I'm afraid it wasn't just one thing, Ricardia. There were no silver bullets. Actually, it's quite a fascinating story, and we still have some time before we get to Seoul. How about I tell you how we ended up producing better, more powerful, and cleaner energy solutions? What do you say? Good idea. Let me settle into my cozy nook here. If I had a cup of tea right now, I wouldn't hate it. Would you mind, Mercedes? As you wish. One dirty chai latte, extra foam, coming right up. Oh, and regarding the story you're about to hear, tiny spoiler alert, the problem was never just the energy source alone. Something, or rather, someone else had to get involved. Ooh, you're making it very suspenseful. Activating Total Sense Immersion Program now. But wait, Mercedes, since the future is already here, let's share the story with our listeners in today's episode. Hey everyone, it's Ricardia Bramley. We're back with Future Dimensions, a podcast by Mercedes-Benz. 
In today's episode, we're tackling one of the biggest challenges currently facing humankind, energy. I guess we've all seen some changes, am I right? I'm just remembering my utilities bill back in 2022. I was like, wait, I'm not trying to light up Vegas over here, people. Or that moment when I ordered a pizza at my favorite restaurant, I get the check and I'm thinking, what, did they put caviar on that thing? But jokes aside, the good news is energy is always in flux. We can change where we get it from and how much we use. New innovation is happening all the time. For example, do we have any surfers out there? Well, surf's up, dudes. Scientists have developed at least five different devices to capture the power of ocean waves. And they're getting better all the time. It's amazing just how much is happening already. And to get a better picture of what those things are, we invited two experts to give us some perspective. Roberto Boca is the head of the Center for Energy and Materials, as well as a member of the Executive Committee at the World Economic Forum. That is official speak for Roberto, just makes a lot of common sense. He's the man with a plan for solutions, driven by a global economy. So the idea that we'll be the double economy and double the energy system won't work. We'll have to have an energy system that is similar to the one of today in terms of size, and then less carbon intensive. Our second guest, Marlene Vogt, is the sustainability manager at LEAG, a German energy company that focuses on renewable energy sources. Marlene's got some uncanny inventions for us, and they could revolutionize the field of renewable energy. However, she says, we'll need another kind of revolution as well. Although I do assume that people understand the general logic and the need of energy transition, if it comes down to compromising own habits and consumption choices, this understanding seems to stop and people feel patronized and highly uncomfortable. Like, why do I have to change? Why do I have to go out of my comfort zone? Uh-oh, good point. And we're going to explore it more. So for this one, I kept my ears close to the ground. I got some answers on how we move from energy crisis to energy transition to energy transformation. And here's what I found. Before I could get into how we develop the right technology, I felt the need to understand how we can obtain and harness large amounts of renewable energy. For this question, I turned to Marlene. I asked her right up front what makes a renewable energy source a viable energy source for the future. The future vision of energy supply is that it would come from renewable energies that has a stable performance, is sufficiently available, uh, would be affordable, and also we can distribute the energy based on demand. So, of course, going for renewable energies, this is a fundamental change of the energy system. Okay, it's the power of three. Stability, availability, affordability. Got it. However, it gets a tiny bit trickier. Marlene was quick to add that several other conditions will have to be met so that we can continue to stay powered up while innovating. It's kind of like hitting the ground running while the ground is permanently shifting. So we do have technology options available. We already know how to operate power supply and how to handle complexity of energy management. So these are actually good preconditions. Nevertheless, uh, we should not turn a blind eye to the fact that we are transforming while running business. So that is a challenge. 
Also, it would include a lot of investment costs to switch from one energy system to the other. So here's where we are right now. We have some infrastructure, but we need money and less red tape to create more transparency. Perhaps fewer hurdles for innovation. It's also not enough to harness the energy. You gotta figure out how to access the sources and how to store the energy once you've tapped it. We have established technologies which we know for decades, such as wind and solar. So because this is weather and sun-based technologies, it's not constantly available. Uh, we need to have storage solutions to even out the demand. So we are also looking into other technologies such as deep uh, geothermal energy or heat pumps or even biomass is in research and evaluation. Every technology has its uh, positive and also its negative um, parts. So, for example, on the geothermal energy part, it is a very interesting technology. Yes. What is geothermal, by the way? Mercedes, could you real quick? Gladly. Geothermal energy is the heat produced deep in the Earth's core. It is a clean, renewable resource that can be harnessed for use as heat and electricity. But of course, there's also some more information needed because if you dig deep down into the Earth, there might be surprises waiting because um, there's shifting materials. You need to know local uh, requirements. What I'm getting here is that a lot of energy, you'll pardon my continuous obsession with puns, people, is going into the research and development of tools so we can literally dig it up, harness it, and keep it in a safe place. Little fun fact for all you historians out there. We've done this before. Have you heard about hydropower, for example? Simply put, it uses the power of moving water and converts it into energy. Think big water wheel. That's something people in ancient Greece did thousands of years ago, if on a smaller scale, obviously. Okay, we figured out where we are and how technological advancement will help. Now let's turn our attention to the who. Who is going to turn this ship around? There is one entity that will decide everything that comes next. Without this player, we might as well start rubbing rocks together, hoping we generate a few sparks for a bonfire. Have you figured out who the key player will be? This little riddle is as much old as it is new. Maybe we should ask the Sphinx. Okay, let me save you the trip. It's us. Humans, we are at the helm of this ship. We have to turn it around, and we have the power to do just that. Think it can't be done? Not so fast. Roberto says there are two ways humans can tackle the question of energy. One is supply. How do we create enough energy with existing and renewable sources? Two, demand. How can we do more with less in the future? Roberto, how do we strike the right balance? The demand is a critical element. If actually you look through history, the energy transition has always been an addition. So we keep using biomass, we keep using coal, we keep using oil, and we are adding renewable. But we still have 82% of our energy mix that is fossil fuel, exactly for this reason. So the only way to really address this drastically is to reduce the energy intensity. Wait, what did he just say there? First comes addition. We add cleaner energy sources to the existing not-so-clean ones. For now, at least. Second is reduction. 
we reduce consumption, and we change our idea of exponential growth. That sounds good, but where does it leave us, Roberto? So how can you really reduce the energy intensity for everything that we produce? If you look at the long term, in 2050, we'll probably be double the GDP that we have today. And we can't think of having double the energy system we have today when you look at the consequences of the environment in terms of structure, all the materials we'll need and so on and so forth. So the idea that we'll be do the double economy and double the energy system won't work. We'll have to have an energy system that is similar to the one of today in terms of size and then less carbon intensive. Okay, what Roberto is saying makes sense. Basically, we can't keep using our GDP goals as a measure of how much energy we need to produce. So what do we do? Just not grow? Impossible, you say. Luckily, Roberto has an idea for us. We have to change the part on energy. But no, we don't have to adapt the growth. We can still grow. We have just to be smarter in the way of how much energy we use to produce that growth. So can we produce this object with one unit of energy instead of two. If we do that, then that is possible still to grow because then we have that capacity to, to, to further grow. I think I see a way forward here. We level up energy efficiency, meaning producing greater power with fewer units. And by the same token, we dial down the overall energy expenditure. The magic word is efficiency. I think we have to decouple the growth from energy. That is clear element. So we can keep growing, uh, but we have to use less energy. And it is possible. There are ways in which we can be much more efficient, much more wise in optimizing the quantity of energy we need per unit of GDP produced, per anything that we produce, being a service or a good. We have also to think that in general, growth has to be for a purpose. And there is a lot of waste in the economy of today. So also taking away that waste and those inefficiency will help us having the positive growth, the growth that will enable also emerging markets to grow. Duh, he's so right. Surely our waste management needs a major overhaul. For example, 45% of overall energy used in production at Mercedes-Benz plants comes from renewable sources, in large part, thanks to 100% green electricity supplies. But it's also true what Roberto says about populations from emerging markets and their desire to grow. I guess staying with our ship metaphor, we need everyone to be on board with this. Hmm, there's one more thing that's bugging me, and that's the emotional side of things. We want to save the planet for our children and do what is right by them. But what if, for example, I can't see my extended family anymore? In my case, a lot of them live in the U.S. and I'm in Europe. So I'm wondering what kinds of sacrifices do we have to make in the future? And is this a question of either or? Either you save the planet or you see your family. Roberto, a little help maybe? Quite the opposite. Uh, so I'm not advocating that you reduce the visit to your family in the U.S. or in China or wherever you are uh, as, a, as a listener to this. But it's actually to be smart about it. And, uh, you know, if you go and you travel, which is the fuel used by the plane that you use? And how, how we address those issues? How do you go to the airport and so on? So I, I'm definitely not for advocating on reducing the benefit to society, but to be smarter more efficient and effective in the way we develop those services and goods. 
What I like about Roberto's insight is that there is a sense of autonomy here. There's something we can do, and that is to make informed decisions about the energy we consume. So maybe one of the ways we adapt is in fact just asking more questions, such as where is my energy coming from? How is it being produced? Do I need to send all those emails that require energy to cool the servers? Maybe just pick up the phone instead. Or please don't hate me, but less binge streaming might also be a tiny contribution. We can also look at the products we don't immediately think of perhaps. This is a great point. Is um as we have a standard for efficiency if you think of the fridge or you know some of the appliances we have, we have to have that in everything. How much energy I put in that computer in that in those glasses that we have in in whatever we do so i think uh, the 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 consumer play a key behavior but they need to be informed huh i was hoping as much we can steer our destiny to a significant degree we can ask questions we can vote with our grocery receipts and we can become curious about where all our energy comes from i'm reminded of a campaign in germany not too long ago where the ads read water doesn't just come from a tap meaning know that every time you use water you are using an entire infrastructure behind it great we know some of the tools to turn this ship around and we know who should do the turning now comes the key question how are we going to pull this off let's for a moment investigate what it's going to take to get ahead of the curve we've already missed the deadline for 1.5 degrees Can we still build enough speed to develop renewables like will the technology around them develop fast enough for us to meet demand or will there be gaps in the supply chain the kinds of which are already showing up what we're seeing right now is this a gaze into the future roberto so first of all addressing the demand will mean that we'll need less supply and if we need that supply we'll have less of the problem you're talking about about supply chain and so on that's point 1 point 2 I think we have to be courageous to some extent. We have to be looking at all sort of technology that can ensure that level of uh, energy at the price and at the carbon intensity that that we need. Did you catch it? That tiny word in there? Courageous. Courage. That is the real energy we need going forward. Okay, I feel a little bit like a motivational speaker right now, but I mean it. Roberto thinks about all these things every single day. And if he says we have the means to switch gears, I don't know. I tend to believe him. I'm not alone in my optimism by the way. I asked Marlene what she would do if she could wave a magic wand. What I would personally do uh, is actually to switch worries in, and concerns into like confidence and creativity, because uh, we do have a lot of concerns and worries because um, there are criticalities which are also not to be ignored. But if we take that negativity and put it into like confidence and yes, we can do it and let's find solutions and maybe uh, try to find alternatives. Um, with that, I think it is possible to reach a really flexible portfolio of emission-free power technologies that supply affordable energy. Maybe just envision uh, like standing on the top of the mountain and see the view that you can get there. Sure, that might sound dreamy, and it isn't going to be easy, especially for some people. Aren't we all a little nimby out there? Nimby, informal acronym for not in my backyard. 
A person who objects to the sighting of something perceived as unpleasant or hazardous in the area where they live, especially while raising no such objections to similar developments elsewhere. Uh, thanks Mercedes. Anyway, not everyone is going to take this lying down, as Marlene mentions. So I wish there was more understanding on how behavior of individuals and households would influence the complexity of energy consumption and the responsibility that comes along with it. And um, although I do assume that people understand the general logic and the need of energy transition, if it comes down to compromising own habits and consumption choices, this understanding seems to stop and people feel patronized and highly uncomfortable. Like, why do I have to change? Why do I have to go out of my comfort zone? Ouch. You're so right, Marlene. As humans, we don't much like change, do we? And yet, when push came to shove, we did just that. We changed, we upgraded, we pushed forward. Want to know something funny? There's also YIMBY, which stands for Yes in My Backyard. Let's get us some more of those people. Um, uh, anyway, I'll get off my soapbox now. <clears throat> in other news, I've got one more exciting discovery to share with you. There was one invention Marlene mentioned that gave me such a tickle, I had to have her tell you about it. I would like to share is a technology that's called uh, triboelectric nanogenerators. For a moment there, I thought she was describing a new music genre, and I should be hitting the big city clubs to see what everyone's vibing to. Alas, uh, well, that wasn't quite it. It's really interesting. It's actually talking about electrification via contact, so... Maybe if you fancy to have a polyester sweater, maybe, and you put it over your hat and uh, then your hair uh, and your sweater are statically charged and does this crackling noise to it. That's the effect that is being used like between materials that there's like tension. Um, so there's so much uh, interesting things that we already talked about. And I found out, for example, that you use the friction walking on carpet for generating electricity uh, for example, um, also to have like a foil on photovoltaic. So you can use the photovoltaic while the sun is not shining and maybe it's raining and then you can use the rain friction on the photovoltaic to use like energy. And that's so interesting because it's just like a glimpse of what could happen. So I'm really excited what's going to happen there. So not a new beat, but still, doesn't this sound really avant-garde and sci-fi level cool? Or am I just really nerdy? Wait, don't answer that. Listen, the challenges we face with regard to renewable energy are massive. But if we not only keep researching and investing in the right tech, but also change our relationship to energy, we can shape the narrative of energy in the future. Roberto says we have to repair the plane while we're flying it. <laughs> Very James Bond if you think about it. Either way, the future of energy tells two stories more renewable sources for supply, and modified human behavior for demand. I'll let Roberto have the almost last word, because when I asked him if he thought we can live a healthy life on a healthy planet, he told me yes. There is the consumption, smart consumption, let's call it in this way, the renewable deployment, and I think is smart adaptation of the current system. So I think that will enable us to be, you know, healthy planet and healthy life in an healthy planet. So I think that th these are the three dimensions that, that are critical for that. Aha. 
We got three specific levers, people. Smart consumerism, meaning ask questions about how that fridge does on the energy rating scale. Deployment of renewable energy sources, meaning we expand the portfolio of renewables. And lastly, smart adaptation of the existing infrastructure. Essentially meaning, we don't throw the baby out with the bathwater, we update and transform existing developments. Plus, doesn't it feel good to know that there's a global tribe of people feverishly working on solutions for new energy in the future? And that we as consumers have been given the power to make the energy transition a success story. We don't keep doing what we've been doing and hope for a different result. We don't stay in our algorithmic bubbles hoping the other bubble will solve the problem. What if we had enough clean energy? If is not an option, so the how is going to be key. Oh, and next time you climb into your Mercedes, maybe ask if someone else needs a ride. This was Future Dimensions, a podcast brought to you by Mercedes-Benz. That's it from me, your host, Ricardia Bramley. Thanks so much for listening, writing, and asking the tough questions. But don't stop there. For now, this was the last episode of Future Dimensions. But just in case you missed it, these were some of the exciting things we talked about in previous episodes. Be sure to hop back over to episode 4, where we talk about what would happen if fiction became reality. Or one of my personal favorites, episode number 9, where we find out if gaming will save your life. What we hope you'll take away from the research and amazing interview partners of the show is that if we want a sustainable future, we will have to shape it together. After all, the core message of the show is... Shaping the future always starts with a vision. (laughs) Excellent, Mercedes. I couldn't have said it any better. Stay tuned and stay curious, because the future is already here.